Are you looking for inspiration? In need of career guidance? Wondering what path successful people take? Listen up. I am Vibha Kagzi, CEO and founder of reachiv.com, a Harvard alumnus and the author of Break the MBA Code. I'm going to be your host on this weekly show called House of Experts, where you can get an insight into a wide range of career choices directly from industry stalwarts. So buckle up and get ready to take off. I'm super excited for episode 39 of House of Experts. Um, what's making this episode even more special is our young guest today. Um, young by years, but definitely not young by achievements. Uh, Sagar Sheikh, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to everyone. Um, so Sagar is an alumnus of IIT Bombay, uh, has worked in consulting. So he took sort of the IIT engineer consulting. Then he went to work with a venture capital fund uh, for a brief period. And then the entrepreneurial bug caught him pretty quickly. And he moved uh, to starting his own company. And he's going to share a little bit about his journey, about how he started. But um, it was an existing tech startup that he joined. I'm not going to spill the beans. I'm going to let Sagar share his own story. And uh, today he runs Go Dutch, um, a mobile app with over 200,000 uh, users already and growing strong. Uh, was recently awarded an award by Google um, in, the, in the hidden gem category. So we've got a hidden gem here with us today. And uh, on a personal note, I've had actually the pleasure of working with Sagar uh, while he was an illustrious student at IIT Bombay. Uh, running the entrepreneurship cell and uh, being an extremely supportive member of the eCell committee and taking on then as the head of the eCell um, in the year after. So lots of stories and lots of uh, passion, lots of hard work in Sagar's journey and we're going to hear it all in his words. So thank you firstly, Sagar, for joining us today. Pleasure is mine, Vika. Thanks for having me. All right. So... Guys, without much ado, um, I'm going to jump into our first question right here. Yeah, Shika, for you, Tinder co-founded GoDutch. Ah, yeah, okay. We're going to talk a little bit about that, Shikha. Uh, the One of the investors from Tinder is also an investor in uh, Sagar's company, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Thank you for bringing that up. All right. So, Sagar, let's, let's get cracking. Uh, first question over to you is, I want to, you know, since we run an education company, I'm always intrigued by people's early years and their childhood. So what were your early years like? Where did you grow up? You know, what, what were sort of family influences growing up? Yeah, so I, I come from a good Jew family. Um, so business sort of runs in our veins as such. Um, hey, I I'm, bought... hey, I'm Marwadi, so this is going to be a, a tussle between the <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then you will hear Sindhis joining in, but no, good choose, good choose are the best. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was born in Mumbai. Uh, my dad used to run something here, and then he started a new venture in Singapore. So we, I actually moved to Singapore when I was, a, I was two or three years old. And then I was there for the next seven, eight years of my life. And uh, my dad ran multiple businesses. Eventually, we had to move back to India because he had a new venture coming up in India. Uh, okay, and so then I've been, a, also a serial entrepreneur. He is also a serial entrepreneur. He's run a grocery kind of a startup, think Big Basket. Um, he's run an HR, IT, HR outsourcing company. Um, currently, he runs something in financial services. Uh, the company oh, wow. recently got acquired by a 
larger company so he's done all kinds of businesses right it tech something as uh, not digital as uh, grocery so he's done all kinds of um, different ventures and and i always used to look up to him but i was also like very daunted by the prospects of entrepreneurship right i mean there's just so much pressure and so many different things to take care of i was like i'll study well i was always a good student so i thought i'll study well uh, get into a good college do a job and my life will be sorted little did yeah. i know that things will your education began at home with your dad huh? so i don't know if we are giving iit bombay credit for the success <laughs> or to dad that's that's going to be a tough decision no dad of course uh, i mean in your early days uh, family influences you the most right especially your parents uh, and your siblings are the ones you look up to and it is not just my dad actually all of my uncles run their own uh, uncles and aunts run their own uh, you know uh, successful firms businesses, firms, businesses. Okay. so uh, i was always into that mindset but i was sort of a little like every all of my other cousins also used to run businesses and you know aspire to run businesses but i was always more of a job a mindset kind of a person uh, things okay. have changed since then but that was that was my mindset early on okay and then so you have came back to india yeah entrepreneurship uh singapore then you returned back to india then i returned back to india then i uh, yeah i did my schooling here in juhu in mumbai uh, and then after that 11 12 is when i did my it jail coaching here in so mumbai itself what, what, what sort of uh, What what made you even think of you know going down the whole IIT route? What was that about? So honestly, I mean, very very honestly, there wasn't as much thought put into it as I would have liked uh, there to be. Uh, it was like I was very good at maths and science, so and I didn't want to do medicine because it involved biology. So I just took up you know IIT JE prep. I, I don't think that's the way um, career choices should be made, but that that was the way it happened for me. um i was good at science maths and i thought let's just do something challenging right uh, so that's how i ended up in um, engineering um, so i okay. took up yeah metallurgical engineering and material science at iit bombay was fortunate enough to okay so, so tell us tell us a little things. bit about the whole je prep and like you know is it as crazy as it's made out to be uh it is it is it involves a lot of efforts it involves a lot of personal sacrifices not just on your side but also on your family side so you know very little tv time very little computer time so you basically need to compartmentalize your life into studying and other things and it's mostly 8 10 hours of, like, of studying in the 11th grade and then 12th grade it sort of gets even worse where you're studying like anywhere between 12 to 14 hours of the day but then i think those two years of efforts are sort of in hindsight very worth it um because the experience that follows if you get into one of the uh, better colleges is incredible i think i owe a lot of what i am today and what i will be in the future to iit bombay and i'll talk about uh, about that but i think those two years of efforts were definitely worth it uh, okay so I, it is yeah. quite a grueling two years but you feel like it was all worth it uh hi shikhar to you i will take your question um just hang in there and we'll get to that the, the part about fundraising and investing for sure i promise you we'll we'll address that okay um let's let's go on so how is iid bombay it live up to your expectations and uh share a little bit about iid bombay and that experience iid bombay was i think uh, a roller coaster ride i think engineering by itself exposes you to 
a lot of different disciplines uh, you know computer science i admit i took up material science of that electrical all of that all, i mean obviously the academic experience aside which anyway is amazing because you're surrounded by you know one of the sharpest professors and uh, one of the sharpest minds in the country in terms of your peers as well but but i think what was amazing about iit is the fact uh, that there's so much else other than academics going on right so i was part of this entrepreneurship cell on campus that you referred to and i was involved uh, in it from the first year of my um, undergrad i obviously did a four year program and i was involved all for all four years of my life in entrepreneurship so that's when you know i sort of started realizing that entrepreneurship is also fun and those were the days when you know pavai valley was a big thing there were startups like housing um, ola had set up in pavai itself uh, i think there was topper which recently got acquired by byju so there were a bunch of startups coming up in the uh, pavai area uh, so there was a lot of you know buzz going around at that and i was really enthusiastic about entrepreneurship so i was part of this ecel so the ecel on campus basically organizes a bunch of you know entrepreneurship related competitions a lot of talks a lot of seminars Lots of conferences correct correct all of that and i also used to run a magazine for the ecel it was called on space and yeah. we used to run a blog as well um, so i interacted like first hand i interacted with a lot of entrepreneurs and it was i think really really inspiring to you know uh, talk to talk to entrepreneurs and understand their journeys and understand okay. how they you know rose through everything so i, I think uh, that was pretty formative for me uh tanga konia which branch are you in in which year he uh, he said he mentioned uh, he took uh, metallurgy you said metallurgical engineering and material science that's right yeah and uh, he graduated class of 2016 so 16 been almost 5 years now okay so you you obviously took good advantage of the ecel and other opportunities available on campus um but at iit itself you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur or you thought it was something you you do at some point in your life i think i got excited by the thought of entrepreneurship when i was on campus but uh, i still didn't feel that i was immediately ready to you know venture into entrepreneurship take up lunch directly after my undergrad I, i think a few reasons were that a i think founding team is really important so i didn't have you know co-founders ready in my head second i think i lacked some sort of business understanding because i obviously did in technical degree right engineering is super technical and al- although i mean i'd learned some basics of business from my dad and from reading up and all of that i lacked any real world experience so i th- yeah. i thought that maybe you know i'll spend a few years uh, actually working um, and then figure out basically uh, if entrepreneurship is something i want to pursue in the in the future okay. so yeah that's how i took up a job after okay as we're about to move on from the iit phase anything about iit you want to share like sort of one standout experience one learning any anything that sort of you you know your one big takeaway from iit so i i think my one biggest takeaway from iit is that your network is basically your network right and iit at iit you are living on campus in the hostel with a lot of different friends so if the more events you participate in the more stuff you do the more people you get exposed to and now i'm realizing the value of all those relationships have cultivated over the years Uh, so solid meaningful friendships and relationships sort of help you a long way in your career in in ways you wouldn't even have imagined uh, like so I, i think something you want to share like uh, uh, how how did a network help you or a connection help you oh so one of the one of the most obvious ones is i actually met my co-founders on campus right so both of my co-founders are actually a year junior to me but also oh. from iit bombay 
and we were actually living in the same wing on campus so we were living in adjacent rooms and that's how we know each other and oh. little did we know that you know we, our paths will cross again and we end up starting a company together so yeah i mean that's oh, wow. one real way in which it helped us okay so clearly lots of people are saying networking is very important of course okay um iid happened then you decided to go to consulting so what was that decision driven by and you know why why did you pick kurni is a specific reason you went went there yeah so i, I think a couple of reasons why i wanted to do consulting was one like i said i lacked uh, any business grounding right uh, no real world business experience i came from a technical background and that's something i really wanted to you know plan certainly i think second is consulting provides you exposure across a number of industries right and at a stage in your career where you're not sure you know whether it's healthcare that you like or it's fintech that you like you would want to do something more generic so that's how i ended up in consulting i think i spent a year and a half in consulting i did projects across the spectrum right i remember my first project was with a very large listed automotive parts manufacturer and it was a growth strategy project and we were told to come up with a five year strategy right what new products or new verticals we should enter into and uh, within like 2 3 months i think we deep dived on you know a number of different areas and then narrowed down to you know saying that electric vehicles and carbon fiber things or what you should enter in and the company eventually did that so i mean getting that exposure to senior level management getting that exposure to actually drive what a company will do over the next 5 years i think those kind of experiences i wouldn't have got had it not been for consulting so i think consulting was super useful for me in terms of getting my business concepts clear okay so so very early sort of formative exposure to business coming from your gujarati family of entrepreneurs um iit giving you that engineering base giving you those hard skill sets the entrepreneurship cell inspiring you exposing you to lots of entrepreneurs and then consulting giving you sort of uh, foundational skills and very very early exposure to uh, how big you know ceos etc think about uh, large scale businesses okay wow so so very very sort of strong foundation uh, sagar so far huh okay yeah, then, then yeah. what happened why would why why leave consulting what what happened like you know what was your tipping point for that decision so i think my tipping point was more driven by the opportunities ahead of me i was still enjoying consulting quite a bit but uh, when a few roles in venture capital came across i realized that i mean i'd already realized that entrepreneurship was my calling but i didn't feel ready for it yet i thought you know working in a vc setup in a venture capital setup is something uh, which will lead me to that path of entrepreneurship further down the line so that's why i you know transitioned into a venture capital role at eight roads where uh, we basically look at startups from series a to series c to invest in indian startups to invest in so i spent a good two years there you know uh, again investing across fintech consumer tech a little bit of enterprise tech as well uh, ah, great yeah. so you got exposure to fintech with the with the vc fund with atrox i did i did i i looked at a number of different um, fintech companies we are also an investor in bank bazaar which is a fintech company uh, we are invested in covera which is a mutual fund investing company Uh, so got great exposure there and i think both consulting and investing are basically professions where in a very short period of time you pick up like a new topic um, uh, do deep dive and then make decisions right in a vc setup it's making investment decisions and a consulting setup it's basically solving certain problem statements which are given to you but i think both of those experiences sort of gave me like that ability to you know quickly ramp up on new different topics 
and do stuff and again that's been super helpful for me in the startup journey because i mean one day you're tackling hiring issues one day you're tackling fundraising some day sure. you're tackling like product issues and all of that so, yeah. okay so so obviously the the exposure did help you um any anything you want to share from you know the venture capital space um takeaways big learnings you know what 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 did you what did you learn and how did you learn to evaluate companies you know what what are some of the sort of investment theses you guys were um adapting yes yeah, so I, i think one sort of uh, basic fundamental behind investing is you invest for the long run so you basically look at um, the sustainability and the scalability of a company so you don't just look at what's there right now but you need to unearth what it's what's in it for the what's in there for the long run right so i think so when you are evaluating the founding team when you are evaluating the uh, economics of the business when you are evaluating the competitive landscape all of it has to keep in mind what the long term potential would look like uh, for all of those factors so i think that's one biggest take away for me from uh, my investing experience and that goes for my entrepreneurial experience as well i think i'm in okay. it for the long run the long haul okay uh there's this one of my favorite quotes you know by by this um american ice hockey player which he says like uh don't skate to where the puck is skate to where the puck is going to be you know so Absolutely. always sort of mapping forward okay great, great takeaway to pick up on because then as you sort of uh envision your own startup obviously you're not looking at something in the short haul and you know you've already got your eyes on the big picture uh let's let's go to go dutch so what happened then Uh, you spent some two years at Eight Roads. Um, how did GoDutch happen for you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I'll go back to my IIT days, right? Like, like I said, Amirud and Riaz are now my co-founders. Were also in the same wing with me on campus, and uh, all of us, like all of the wingmates, would go out on trips quite often, and you know, we would order in from outside quite often, and it, it was always who's paying, how much, when, right? So if one person paid on behalf of the entire group. then that person would basically be responsible for chasing down the other uh, friends and you know knocking on hostel room doors classic, and telling ki yaar mera paisa de de wapas yeah 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 so, so there's so always that you know for, one or two people uh, broken because of this the biggest slice of the pizza that night yeah exactly ki tune itna pizza khaya hai to tu itna paisa de so those kind of things right and uh, that's when we realized that the need for such a product to you know manage group expenses exists but we didn't really act on it all three of us took um, different jobs so i was working in consulting and in investing um, riaz was working in a fintech product company called instaren it's a very well funded fast growing company so he was working in a more technical role over there and anirudh was working in access bank uh, as an operations guy so all three of us were working in fintech financial services as such and uh, both of them like uh, started up when i was still working in a venture capital role so both of them started uh, goda chat first and then because i was a senior from college they knew very well they were always reaching out to me for you know help around business strategy around how to make a business plan how do we pitch to investors all of those things right the more strategic and more the, the more business angle uh, part of it uh, and then i i eventually realized that you know this is something this is an idea even i'm super passionate about and the three of us had very complementary skill sets uh, you know product marketing and sort of uh, i came in with the business lens so we thought why why not you know jump into it together and uh, that's how we ended up uh, starting okay, go uh, very interesting so so you mentioned complementary skill set 
um it's actually one of my favorite words to use if anyone asks me how to pick a co-founder i, I always say look for complementary skill sets so um a great takeaway there um what else did you look for you know what else do you think makes you vibe yeah so i, I think one was definitely complementary skill sets the second was the word vibe itself right which you mentioned we all three of us were obviously friends from now eight nine years but at that point uh, around six seven years and uh, we knew each other very well we had been through a lot of things together you know campus placements college life all of that and we sort of knew each other inside out and that's why we thought that if we are going to start up then might as well do it with someone you share a great rapport with because no startup journey would be easy right it'll have its own share of ups and downs uh, so you want to yeah. be in it with someone who you really believe in someone who believes in you as much Uh, so I think that was the other thing that I was looking for. That vibe, uh, okay. you know, should match. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so complementary skill sets. Three co-founders. Uh, two's company. Three's a crowd. Do you ever feel that? Is it too many heads making decisions, or how have you managed to segregate the decision making? Yeah. So the good thing is we've taken ownership of you know different aspects of the company. So you know, Riaz looks at tech and product. Anirudh looks at marketing. I look after everything else, right from fundraising, legal, finance, operations, uh, okay. engagement, all of that. So we've compartmentalized stuff, but still, I mean, the big decisions we obviously take them together after consulting each other and after having deep discussions. But at the end of the day, one person is responsible for you know his priorities uh, or political. Okay. Great. uh let's let's hear a bit about the product if you could just sort of give us an overview of the product or the app how it works yeah so godach is uh, basically a group expenses app so basically if a bunch of uh, friends want to share expenses then godach is what they will use it's basically an app to split bills and expenses basically keep track of you know who owes whom how much and then pay each other and settle up outstanding balances they have with each other so an example would be if say four friends have gone out on a trip and uh, say they've gone to goa they have a bunch of expenses right from flight tickets where you know one person has paid for three four others then there are a bunch of meals which they've shared someone's eaten and someone's also had alcohol so you know different ways to split expenses and keep track of them and then eventually settle them with each other at the end of the day uh, at the end of the trip if say i owe you uh 7000 bucks then i can pay you that i can close the loop and pay you 7000 bucks app, uh, also integrate the actual payment portion so people can get card information and it it does so you can basically not just uh keep track of expenses like you would in a diary but you can also execute payments to each other you can also use the godach card to actually make payments in real time so there are a bunch of features around that uh, okay yeah okay so very useful of course uh, especially uh, you know in, in, from a, a student perspective from a youth perspective young professionals perspective um tell me uh, okay we have a question here let's take this question how does godach distinguish themselves from their competitors okay of course um because there obviously are many payment apps like this so what's what's the usp what's the differentiation Yeah, so so what we sort of realized was that there are a lot of these P two P payment apps, right? Like a PTM, a PhonePay, Google Pay, but there doesn't exist any you know group payment app as such, you know, which is basically multiple people paying each other, paying the merchant. So that's where we realized that you know there's a gap in the market out there, and you know something different deserves to exist, especially for group payments, especially given that a large portion of the uh, 
spends done by people in that age group you know 18 to 30 like you said college students and working professionals yeah. our group expenses right they staying with flatmates sure renting furniture from perlenko ordering groceries from big basket ordering meals from swiggy all the time right they going when people are going on trips they go on trips with friends right so a lot of group expenses okay. so that's why we thought that you know something deserves to exist and that's why uh, we started godach and the way we um differentiate ourselves from other you know similar apps like our splitwises uh we don't just keep track of the expenses but we also allow people to pay each other via upi and as you know upi is become super big so uh, we are a more localized product we have our godach card concept as well where basically uh if i transact using the godach card with you in a group then money will get deducted from both from your as well as my account so instead of you know me paying the whole amount on behalf of the both of us i'll just use the card any one person can use the card and money gets deducted from all the group members ah, so you don't even have to keep track of you know who paid how much and where and all of that uh, yeah so okay uh, falguni padiyar asking splitwise does that too so does the competition also allow for uh payments through no so splitwise splitwise doesn't allow payments through its app they have a paytm wallet integration which is only for paytm wallet payments but they don't have any upi integration to you know pay each other uh, they obviously don't have the godach card concept as well that is a first of its kind across That's the world uh, yeah yeah okay all right Thank, thanks falguri for your question adya's question what's your alma mater of course he said he's from iit bombay adya we uh, spoke a little bit about his iit days already in on the show okay um let let's let's talk a little um, you know about the app itself before we move to other aspects so what you know how do you how do you develop an app you know for people who don't know how do you how do you even start thinking about an app like what's the what's the first step one takes yeah so i i think the first step one needs to take is to identify a problem statement and then validate that with users right how do you validate that with users the number of ways of doing that one is obviously the basic talking to people taking a survey and all of that um, and then the next step after that is basically building out an mvp right so building out like a very basic version of the app which uh, does the utility which is functional uh, but not a very jazzy version which you're ready to go live with so build out a basic version of the app and then test it out with users and see see what their real world feedback is like whether they're actually liking it not liking it what are they liking what are they not liking so that sort of validates the hypothesis you had in mind around the problem statement as well as the solution uh, so that's how we went about it as well and it took obviously a bunch of time to do all of it uh, riaz in fact learned coding from scratch and sort of built out the initial version anirudh uh, learned how to design on figma and you know uh, figured out how to do the product design so i mean all of it was done by ourselves in house uh, by oh, the wow. three of us uh, co-founders at the very beginning yeah yeah until oh, we raised wow. for the rounds of funding okay so the three of you actually learned how to code from scratch or learned ui ux and wow correct yeah everything everything we figured out ourselves uh, we wrote the copies we did the design we coded it uh, we also wow. did everything from end back end so, so uh, tell me what so, you know, how, how did the product evolve just just to get a sense of like where do you start and you know where where are you right now obviously you've not ended because there is no end to a journey like this but how how what sort of you know modifications have you seen in the product where you're just like oh my god you know what what are some of the sort of eureka moments in the product development phase so 
I think product development phase, like you said, is a never-ending journey, right? Uh, every new month, you launch new features, and you'll realize what customer feedback is like, and then you keep iterating on it, keep iterating on it, and all of that. And and we sort of launched at a time when we were right in the midst of COVID. So we launched our app last July, and at that point, obviously, uh, oh. people weren't you know doing group expenses. No one was going out on trips. Oh. Flatmates weren't living together. They had gone back to their hometowns. So, but the So that was obviously a negative in the sense that you know we launched at a time when group expenses weren't big, but the flip side of that was that we got to launch at a time when uh, because the scale wouldn't be massive, uh, we were able to quickly iterate on the product. Uh, yeah. So initially, like in the very few day, early days, you know, we had launched with uh, with only the card part of the product. Then we realized that that's a very massive difference from the way people are used to thinking about group expenses right now. So we launched uh, basically the app with the with a new sort of splitting functionality and you know settling via upi functionality so all, all of our features are actually come from user feedback uh, because the founders can come up with an initial sort of hypothesis but the real users have to you know guide what you are actually building okay so customers really shaped the your app in many ways correct uh, yeah and they continue to do that i could do that okay let's take a quick question here from sandeep who says how close is an expense management app uh compared to neo banking is this something you want to take yeah so neo banking is basically providing a digitally native banking experience so, i mean the hdfcs and icicis of the world are built in with that branch first mindset right where everything requires documentation conversions etc uh, they have obviously tried to build apps and do all of that but i mean we've all had poor experiences on them so basically neo bank is an easier way to do banking so by banking i mean saving money transferring money to each other uh, you know reconciling all your accounting statements and all of that so that's neo banking our product is more for a um, peer to peer kind of a use case where you want to keep track of so think of it as a ledger to keep track of internal expenses with you know friends or groups of friends uh, so it's different in that sense uh, but sure. i mean i mean we could have overlapping features right now and all time as well okay so sure. sandeep i hope that answered your question uh sabahat's question was yeah how do you plan your updates since new features keep coming okay uh yeah let's 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 address that in some capacity right so how often do you go through a sort of uh feature release or product upgrade is is it something you're just constantly doing or is there like a, a timeline saying look we're going to actually only release at the end of every two weeks or every month or how how does that how does that planning work well absolutely so it's very frequent so every two weeks we launch like a proper update we release like a proper update with you know new features with bugs fixes all of that but also there are times when you know you need to release an update because it's really necessary there's something which is crashed there is some new feature which you really need to get uh, your users using very quickly so during those times we sort of break the cycle but otherwise we have like a two weeks you know sprint cycle where um, two weeks there's development work happening and then there's testing and then you launch the at every two weeks so that's the cycle we are following right now any shorter any time period shorter than that means that there's a lot of pressure and you end up making mistakes any time longer than that means that you know you're not uh, frequent enough in your uh, updates your yeah. okay sure um okay great so i, I think that uh, explains enough about the product i'm going to uh, take this question from shikhar for you because he's asked the question multiple times in the chat shikhar for you i hope you're still tuned in um questions about fundraising um talk us through the journey you know how at what point did you guys you know let's 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 pick this up so uh 
when, when did you first think about having to raise money you know what was that tipping point yeah so i think that tipping point came when we had launched our mvp and had realized so our mvp was like a basic version of the product like i said and we had gotten to 2000 users on the mvp through zero marketing cost so that's when we realized that you know users really want such a product so now let's build out a full fledged product if you want to build out a full fledged product you obviously need a, a proper core team to you know work with you and obviously there are certain other capital expenditures as well that's when we realized that you know we really need to so, so till the uh, mvp product phase it was just the three of you okay and then uh, that's when you said okay now we need a bigger team okay what what happens next so how do you you how do you even start pitching right where do you go what you know how how do you even do this just for a lot of founders it's so overwhelming yeah, um, yeah. how do you do this how do you how do you plan this out Yeah, so interestingly, we uh, before pitching to um, you know proper venture capital investors or even angel investors, we actually applied to Y Combinator. Um, so Y Combinator is actually like a seed funding accelerator program, the largest of its kind in the world. They are home to companies like Airbnb and DoorDash, which you know IPO'd a couple of months ago. They funded Stripe, uh, Dropbox, etc. So massive accelerator program. And so we applied to them. Uh, they have a standard. process where you put in a video a submission you fill in their form and after that they call you for an interview uh, so we had to fly down to bangalore uh, from mumbai for their in person interview and then we got selected in the y combinator program which was an amazing moment for us and they have a standard deal of you know investing 150000 in exchange for 7% equity um, so we basically became a part of the y combinator cohort that was like a 1 crore funding which was a very niche funding So based on that, we built out like a better product and sort of started hiring. Uh, and at the end of the Y Combinator program, it's like a three-month program where you fly down to Silicon Valley, uh, you stay with basically fellow founders other across the world, yeah. other other entrepreneurs across the world. You interact with um, other seasoned entrepreneurs. So we had the Airbnb founders, the Reddit founders, etc. Come down and talk wow. to us about their experiences. Okay. Uh, in fact the y combinator partners the partners in the fund are also all ex entrepreneurs that's where we had actually met the founder of twitch uh, which is this online um, gaming streaming company and he eventually invested in us as well um, so yeah the y combinator experience really changed things for us that was sort of an inflection point in our journey um, one of the first ones and at the end of what y combinator what do you guys do uh, what do you guys do with the money so what do you do with the first one pro is it just all deployed largely towards human resources so honestly we didn't really deploy all of it even 3 months after we had sort of raised that amount but we started deploying it in you know hiring people and paying for some tech costs etc uh, it is more a validation of our hypothesis basically the investment coming in also allowed us to at least start hiring people start drawing out some basic funds for ourselves because until that time we were also not you know drawing any salary from the company and we were just spending money Uh, out of our own pockets so at that point that allowed us to you know just breathe a little easy and um, focus on the business uh, as such uh, so that was what we did with the initial uh, capital before we went on to raise uh, further capital at the end of y combinator okay so y combinator happened you you raised the first 1 crore um started getting some people in and obviously the validation uh, occurs at this point what how is what you know because you have a list of marquee investors 
yeah. in your sort of casket. So very curious to understand how how did that happen? You know, how was it? Each one just sort of surreptitiously happened. So I think again, Y Combinator played a big role in that. So towards the end of Y Combinator, there's something called a demo day. Where you basically pitch to a whole bunch of investors, which Y Combinator has curated, and even actually before the demo day, a lot of investors start reaching out to you just because of the Y Combinator brand name. So they uh, follow up with you and try to reach out to you and get to speak with you. And after that, it's about you know how much conviction you are able to uh, build in their minds. Uh, founding team obviously matters a lot at that stage because the company is obviously in its infancy, right? There's not much traction. Uh, sure. to really rely on so it's more the founding team uh, and the vision that they have for the business which the investors look for and the, we are fortunate enough to you know get introduced to a bunch of investors okay so why combinator seems to have really sort of propelled this as well absolutely so you, absolutely you're sort of attributing it to um, the founding team the the basic concept and then your ability to sort of uh, convince and ability to deliver a uh, a sound sort of proposal yeah absolutely i mean we have investors ranging from like the owners of an nba team to like uh, you mentioned earlier the co-founder of uh, tinder we have kevin lin from twitch uh, who is the founder of twitch investing in us so we were fortunate enough to convince a bunch of these marquee investors to you know, ride alongside us in the journey and like you rightly said i think it is a founding team and uh, the the vision that they have which basically Convinces investors to jump in at such an early stage. Okay, great. Uh, Shikhar, for you, if you are still watching, uh, I hope this has answered uh, your range of questions around fundraising. Okay, uh, so you know you, you raised the money. I think uh, about one point seven million in total so far. Um, where have you deployed the money, and uh, how much have you you know deployed? So one point seven million dollars is about thirteen or. Uh, crore rupees. So we've, I think, barely deployed. I think two, three crores out of it yet. So we still have a long runway to go. And basically, most of it has been deployed to building out a team. So we now have a core team of about thirteen people. Uh, everyone wow. coming from different parts of India with different skill sets. And uh, interestingly, we built out our entire team during the lockdown. So everyone's been uh, hired or onboarded remotely. Now we've started our office since then. So now there's the office cost and all of that as well. In mid-January we started our office. So that's obviously team building is one uh, key spend area for us. And second is I think uh, marketing. Obviously it's a B2C product. It's a consumer-facing product. So um, we do some kind of you know, Google ads and we have this whole campus ambassador program, etc. So basically user acquisition is is the second okay. spend okay. big spend okay. area for us. since you touched upon uh, customer acquisition that's actually where i wanted to go you know cuz if, if i if i think about creating an app and there's so many great ideas out there uh, what's most daunting about creating an app is not so much the the financial investment behind it because as you said you can you know get your bearings right with a, a, a minimal investment but of course is how do you get users to the platform right it's the whole chicken and egg uh, situation you can build a fabulous app but how do you get users on your app yeah you, you have 200000 users on the app Uh, how do you get the first twenty? How do you get the first two hundred? You know how how does that work? And uh, yeah, Sabah is asking. You know, give us some details on your marketing. So very very related. Tell us about your customer acquisition strategy. Sure. So I, th- I think customer acquisition is uh, is a never ending problem, right? You need to constantly figure out ways to you know uh, 
leverage all your marketing resources to somehow find find scale the way we did it initially was we did it in a very unscalable way uh, because we just wanted users somehow so we basically created these you know 50 60 whatsapp groups with all our college friends with all our peers from our working professional lives all our family members that's how we got the first 200 300 or even 1000 users but after that we had to you know start finding scalable channels and that's when we you know went out and started like this whole campus ambassador program because obviously like we discussed college students are a major target segment for this so campus ambassadors and colleges was a great way for us to market to college students So eventually we're incentivizing the the ambassadors correct we have small incentives and it's not just incentives but it's more the idea of you know working with uh, a fast growing startup that really excites students and uh, the exposure that they get to marketing and branding which they really look forward to so i, th- I think that has worked out very well for us and other than that there are a lot of these users who are organically searching for like a splitting bill app or you know an expense splitting app or on the google play store so we've done some ads around google play store such that if you know someone searches for splitting bills and they come across our app so that uh, basically high intent users get access to you know what godaps is all about and they get to use our app so i think yeah i mean that's how we've gone about solving chicken and egg problem and then eventually after a point our product is is basically a group expenses product right so basically you are using it with a group either your flatmates or your friends or not with so there's a lot of network effect actually one user basically gets a bunch of users for us so sure. that's really working out well for us and that'll continue to you know once we've reached that critical mass that sort of takes off on its own similar to any other you know, social media app like a facebook or any p2p payment app as well like a weekly payment yeah okay sure okay so in, initially it was basically friends and family um just sort of you know rec- just getting people who you knew onto the platform yeah yeah initially okay. it was just that because you want real world feedback from real people so you get whoever you can get and then once you've gotten that feedback once you've realized how users are behaving you improve the product and then sort of open up the marketing channels a bit more okay um so in terms of uh, marketing channels what do you use what is a, a mobile app company use like I, i don't even know what what sort of marketing channels would you use to get people on the platform is it is it conventional like social media platforms that you're using yes so we're using google ads we're doing facebook ads facebook is obviously both facebook and instagram a little bit and i don't think there's too much different you can do at an early stage in your company there's affiliate marketing and all of that which comes in at a later scale Uh, but i think google and facebook have access to treasure trove of data and of users right so you can't go wrong with uh, uh-huh. both of them and it's obviously word of mouth is the most important so if you are acquiring users through google and facebook but they are not spreading word about the product through their own whatsapp channels or other channels that they have then it doesn't work right so you need to get one sure. user through google and then get that one user to generate five other users for you so i think okay. that's the that's the rate we obviously have our own organic social media pages as well so we do a bunch of content related activities on instagram on twitter etc okay uh, we had some of them go viral as well so we had created a super cool mario video which really went viral we are doing something around bulbule uh, yasmo uh, we've done something around hira feri so i mean all of those things you need to leverage as well so basically all ends on deck do everything you can at the early stage and figure out what is working and you know double down on that and double down that's that's what the strategy is 
Okay, great. Terrific. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'll take a quick question from the audience, if you don't mind. Um, is the app, is the data on the app safe? A lot of cyber attacks. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about uh, cyber security. And, you know, since you mentioned that payments are actually going through the app, um, have you gone through, or hopefully not, um, any sort of cyber security attack on the product? And how are you sort of preventing for that? Yeah, so as a fintech product, I mean, obviously, we need to be super proactive and we can't be reactive to, you know, security issues or cyber attack sort of issues. So we've taken all kinds of efforts to ensure that, you know, our app is super safe. So we've undergone something called a VAPT, which is a vulnerability assessment, penetrative testing sort of uh, audit. All our backend engineers come from, you know, companies where they have sort of seen uh, backend system scale such that, no one's easily able to hack into anything or misuse anything. All of our uh, early engineers all come from startups and not large oh. companies. They come from startups where we've seen companies grow and build out that initial system oh. and process. So I think that's there. And then we work with very reputed companies. So our payments flow through Razorpay, which is India, one of India's largest payment gateways. We use M2Ps, FinTech APIs. Um, to integrate with the bank uh, and we work with the bank directly. So, I mean, all of that is obviously very kosher. Okay, great. Okay. And uh, how did the Google award happen? How did they find this hidden gem here in India? <laughs> so, honestly, it was serendipity. I mean, we we had not applied anywhere. It's basically a process through which they themselves decide which app is doing well and, uh, you know, attracting users at a very rapid scale and people are giving great feedback. So we have a great rating on the Google Play Store and attractions really picked up since the last okay. few months. So Google themselves discovered us and, you know, one one fine day someone congratulated us and we were like, why are you congratulating us? And then he told us that, you know, it's because you won this award. He sent us a oh. screenshot. And uh, that's when we realized, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great feeling to be, you know, awarded by Google Play Store basically has all of the apps of the world on their platform. So and there are hopefully many more awards to come. Many, many more awards coming your way for sure, Sagar. Um, as I'm winding down, I want to, you know, just, just touch on a few macro questions. So for someone who wants to sort of build an app, um, do you think it's the, the technical skills matter more or is it, you know, the business acumen uh, that you bring in? So you, you feel like, can you hire out the tech or you feel you can hire out the business side? You know, what, what should, if you're going to be one founder, what should you have? If it's a single founder, then I would I would encourage uh, a tech, uh, or someone with some basic tech and product chops. So it doesn't need to be, the person doesn't need to be the best coder in the world, but it, he or she needs to be someone who understands the way tech works, understands how front-end works, product works, back-end works, product works, UI, UX works, all of that, and is able to sort of link everything together. So I, I think if it's one founder, then I would encourage that founder to have some own product and tech chops. But... I would encourage people to not be a single founder because it's a hard journey, right? You want people who are at the same level with you to, you know, uh, sort of ride through the storm with you uh, because there'll obviously be many ups and downs. Then you want someone who's at the same level who you can share ideas with, brainstorm with, bounce ideas off with, and who's in it for the long run. So I think two or three people is ideal. Uh, there have been people who've scaled companies which are scaled with the only one founder, but mostly those are repeat entrepreneurs, people who know how things are done, people who have the tenacity to sustain. 
Yeah. Okay. So your your advice would be to always have multiple co-founders and sort of share the load as you're building out something. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Okay. And uh, what what's the vision looking like? Um, you know, you know. Obviously, there are there are two ways, right? Like most companies, we see uh, broadly either you sort of ride it through and wait till the company goes public, or you do an an early exit. You know, get bought out by uh, a competitor or someone who wants to sort of you know build or add on to their boutique uh, range of services. So, wh- where are you? You know, is is that a is that a vision? Is that is that a plan, or are you just sort of leaving it up to fate? Sure. So basically, there are two visions, right? There's one vision for the product, and then there's one for the business. So in terms of the product, I think the way we've been thinking about it is for the next year or two, we want basically our app to become the de facto app, which anyone uses when they're thinking about group expenses. In the long run, we'll obviously, I think, move ahead from group expenses and also sort of act as an entry point to group commerce. Uh, so that's the product vision, right? I think in terms of business vision, we've not. like when we started out our company and through the last year or two we've never thought about selling the company or doing anything of that sort for us it's all about scale 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 and once we've scaled we'll figure out what the next best thing to do with the business is but right now we are only focused on growing the company um, and not fo- not even thinking about exiting at any stage whether it be selling to a competitor or selling to some other investor or what anything okay. of that sort Sort of so hopefully IPO, but we'll figure out over time. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So uh, you're in in a in a growth mindset right now. That's that's where Correct. you're at. Correct. Okay. Terrific. All right, Sagar. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for all those learnings. You know, you've been extremely generous, uh, uh, sharing a very sort of factual, um, on the ground experiences, and and I'm glad we were able to uh, get you on the show because. uh getting an early stage startup is is obviously very different from you know hearing some of the other entrepreneurs we've had who built out companies that are now 5 10 years uh, mature um you you've been able to give us sort of very the nuts and bolts of uh building a a tech platform personally i've ended up learning a lot from you um so thank you so much and i mean i'm, I'm sure the sky is the limit for you sagar you've got everything going for you stellar education great family support great co-founders and uh, of course a, a terrific vision and a clarity of thought that you've expressed so well on the show so my best wishes to you sagar and uh, wishing you all the very best always thanks thanks for the kind words ripa i think i hope this has been useful to uh, all all the listeners and watchers and yeah we'll kind of stay in touch great thank you sagar stay in touch man thank you thank Take you care. All right, guys. That uh, brings us to the end of episode thirty-nine of House of Experts uh, with Sagar Shade. Uh, learning about early-stage mobile app development, obviously a very hot space. And Sagar uh, was very generous in showing us uh, just literally how to get off the ground. So, for anyone who's looking at uh, building a product, I think he sort of demystified uh, the process for us and. Uh, almost made it, you know, in in my head, just doable. I'm I'm not so intimidated by having to build a product now because he literally walked us through every step in the journey, and uh, of course, he made it seem a little bit easier than it really is because uh, he's obviously got great backing of founders and his own uh, vision and perspective. Uh, but for anyone out there who is looking for some inspiration, I think uh, Sagar was able to offer us that. Uh, have a great evening, guys. Going to sign off now and. uh welcome you back next week with episode 40
and as i always say if you're looking for a, a for inspiration a specific career or industry uh message me or reach iv and we'll try our best to bring an expert from that domain until then have a great evening and uh, see you guys soon take care